Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at New City. If I haven't gotten a chance to uh, meet you or connect with you yet, um, McCartney and I, if you hadn't heard, uh, we had a, a really special week this week. We got to go up to Nashville for the first bit of this week and uh, be a part of a worship conference called the Sing Conference that's put on by a number of folks, uh, primarily Keith and Kristen Getty. And um, I'll just report back to you that um, it was a, an awesome time just to be under God's Word and hear other people um, and teach and open up the reminders of the goodness of the gospel to us and to be led by others in worship. Learned a lot of new songs, came away with a lot of practical insights. Um, we started worshiping at 8 a.m. every day, and we got back to our hotel room uh, on or after midnight every night and really just sang and sat under the Word all day for three days. Um, so I come back to you tired, exhausted. My throat still hurts from singing, um, but my heart is full to overflowing. And so I'm glad to be back here with you, worshiping with you, uh, just as a small sliver of, of the worldwide body of Christ. Um, this morning, we are finishing out the five weeks that we have been going through a series I've entitled Five Marks uh, of a Healthy Disciple or Follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, we are going to finish that out. I want to do what we've done each week by beginning by asking these, these five questions that we, uh, by God's grace and by the power of His Holy Spirit, we just want to come before the Lord and say, Lord, where would you have me grow? Where, where do you want to continue to change and make me new. And so the five questions that we've walked through over this month have been these. When do I worship throughout the day and the week? Where do I grow with others in biblical community? How am I serving and building up the church? Who in my life and in my city needs to be reached with the gospel? And then finally today, what do my time, my talent, and my treasure reveal about my priorities, my heart priorities? Uh, if you have a Bible, you can uh, swipe or open up to 2 Corinthians this morning and chapter 8 in the New Testament, right after 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians, and a chapter 8, a very well-known passage on this topic. Um, as you are flipping there, I, I want to make sure that I sort of preface this morning's uh, walk through God's Word with this. I think that anybody who has not yet experienced the grace and the generosity of Jesus Christ, when they look at Christians and they see Christians who will give of their time, their talent, their treasure, or, or obey God in some way or another, from the outside, people who have not experienced grace, when they look at us, uh, they will assume a couple of things. They will assume that we do sort of good things uh, out of fear of being judged or punished by an angry God. Or... They assume that the reason that Christians do or try to do good things is, is we are trying to earn God's favor, trying to impress God. We're trying to quite literally earn our salvation. Um, or they assume that we as Christians are doing it out of some sort of deep-seated, religious, uh, self-righteous, I'm better than you and I'm going to show you that I am better than you. And, and to those critiques, I would say this to an unbeliever. Maybe you come this morning and you don't know Christ. I would say you are right to some degree that there are people who may or may not be Christians who approach obedience in those ways. And I will tell you that all three of those paths lead to destruction. Uh, all three of those paths lead to bitterness 
and they do not lead to the joy of knowing the Lord. Because here is my one and only motivation for giving of any of my time, any of my talents, and any of my treasure to King Jesus. It is simply this, captured in a kid's song that maybe you know. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is why. That is my sole motivation for anything that I seek to do is the grace, the mercy, the kindness of Jesus to me. I didn't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can't impress God. And in fact, if I, if I take my own life as your pastor this morning, and I look at those five questions, those sort of diagnostic questions, hear me say clearly, I fail at all five of them every single day. And that reality, that conviction drives me all the more to the kindness and the grace of Jesus because my coming to him, my knowing him, my relationship with him is not based on me impressing him. No, no. It's based on his kindness, his his pursuing me, his pursuing you, his loving you first. And it is out of that desire that, that we would ever consider giving of our time, our talent, or our treasure to the Lord. Now let us turn to God's word here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read to us verse 1 through 15 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's talk to our blessed King and Savior now as we go to his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us. Father, would you illuminate your truth to us, apply it and seal it to our hearts, Lord, that 
out of the abundance of your grace that in some small way we might respond by showing grace to others, that out of your immense generosity to us that we might respond in generosity towards others. Lord, bring your conviction, bring your encouragement, bring your joy this day. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Two ways this morning from this passage, two ways uh, to use our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we get this by way of two examples that the Apostle Paul gives us. The first is this. We get first the Macedonian example. This is the church of Macedonia. We get the Macedonian example, which I'm going to summarize to you is this. Let the grace of God overflow in a life of generosity. Let the grace of God overflow in a life of generosity. And we get this instruction really in verses 1 through 7, and then it picks up and gives his final points in verses 10 through 15, and we're going to kind of pull it all together here. So if you're not aware, this letter here, this is a letter that you're reading, 2 Corinthians. It's a pastoral letter that Paul is writing to the church located in the city of Corinth. So this is Corinth Church. And this church in the months or years preceding this letter had begun to gather what was a one-time special offering to support specifically the Jerusalem church. Because the original church back in Jerusalem was experiencing extreme poverty uh, and also persecution. And so Paul, as he was on his missionary journeys, was asking these new churches to give in order to help support them in their need. But then something happened. Between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, these two letters, there was a falling out uh, between Paul and the leaders or maybe the entire church there at Corinth. And one of the results was that they just stopped giving. Um, We don't know all the details, but it seems from the text that basically they got mad at their pastor. And one of the elements of that was that their hearts moved to a place of stinginess and even a, a position of apathy towards those other believers. And they stopped being generous. Uh, The internal heart relationship with God essentially went missing for a season in the lives of these real believers, uh, and and they moved for a season into a, a position of stinginess. But now Paul has sent Titus, sort of a pastor in training, a new elder, Um, back to the Corinthians, and he has been tasked with challenging them to return to generous giving as an evidence, Paul says, of their genuine faith and that it would be a way for them to grow in God's grace to them. And so verse 7, Paul says specifically to them, to these Corinthians, that you should excel in this gift of giving. He, He actually compliments them and says, listen, you already excel in multiple spiritual gifts, faith, speech, knowledge, probably others, but that you lack in the grace of giving. So return to the gift of being generous. And the way that Paul does this, he gives them an illustration. It's it's not an imaginary thing. He gives them a very real illustration from another church in another part of this general region of the globe, the church at Macedonia. And what he says is that in their great affliction, in their great poverty, what was the result? It's interesting that the result was, in fact, greater joy among that church, that group of believers, and greater generosity. Out of their nothing, God brought something incredible. Um, We don't know a whole lot about exactly what their circumstances were, but in Acts chapter 17, we do get one scene back there in the church of Macedonia, and the scene is Paul sharing the good news of the gospel publicly, and the city is so agitated and disgusted 
in hearing the good news of the gospel that they actually immediately start a riot. And they grab some of these brand new believers. They, the Bible names a man named Jason in particular. And they grab Jason and they drag him through the street simply for being a believer. And they seize all of his money. And these are the sort of circumstances that are taking place in Macedonia. Not only are they suffering persecution, they are poor. And this is like ancient world poor. Um, they weren't dealing with car loans. They weren't dealing with mortgage payments or uh, runaway inflation, right? They weren't trying to decide, should I splurge and go to Target today or should I be a little bit more tight and go to Walmart today? Um, and they always left home without their Capital One because those didn't exist yet, right? This is a whole different level of poverty that I think it's hard for us to wrap our heads around abject poverty. And it is in this situation that God chose to move. It says the grace of God in their lives led them to the grace of giving. There's some begging going on. Did you notice this? The Bible uses the word begging. Not Paul going, please give. No, 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 no. I, th- I think Paul pastorally recognized that they had very little. It is those believers who are begging Paul, please give us the opportunity to give and to contribute to this other church in Jerusalem that is also suffering. And the Bible says that they gave according to their means, even beyond their means. I can give this amount and it's going to hurt a little bit, but I don't want to give that amount. I want to give this amount and it's going to hurt a lot. And I wonder, how is it for us today? As you consider your own situation and your own heart, how does suffering, how does struggle, how does not being able to have ends meet or even poverty, how does it affect your heart towards generosity? So let's think about the three words, the time, talent, and treasure. Let's talk about time for for just a second. I think that it would be wise of us to just consider the question this morning, in what ways are you currently giving your time to the Lord? In other words, where is your time dedicated to worshiping, to growing, to serving, and to reaching out with the good news of the gospel? Uh, Maybe you've heard of her, maybe you haven't, but uh, we had the privilege in our worship conference this week of hearing briefly from a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. I think I've got a picture to show you here. In 1967, at the age of 17, she took a dive into a swimming pool, hit her head on the bottom of the pool, and was left for the rest of her life as a quadriplegic. Um, She didn't quit. She didn't pack it in. She didn't say, I'm going to live the rest of my life seeking whatever comforts that I can get because I deserve them. Uh, If you know anything about her life and her story, she has dedicated her life to sharing the gospel, and in particular, sharing the gospel uh, with people who experience one form of disability or another like her. She's written books. She has produced movies, been a part of conferences, music, advocacy, particularly for those with disabilities, it is not an understatement to say that the world treats and interacts with people with disabilities differently now simply because of what God has done through this woman's testimony. Um, So she is 72 years old now. She is no longer physically able to travel generally, but she was actually able to come to our conference and um, she shared for a few minutes, and I'm not, this is not a word-for-word quote. I did my best to write it down even as she was speaking, but this is one of the things that she said, and I think it struck everybody in the room for multiple obvious reasons. She says this, I'm a wretched sinner who deserves hell. Well, that's an interesting opening, isn't it? 
I'm a wretched sinner who deserves hell, but instead I have been loved, forgiven, and made a daughter of God by my loving and kind Heavenly Father. And out of that reality, the next words out of her mouth, she said, and I'm gonna use every last second that I have left on this earth before I'm gone to make sure that as many people hear and experience the free gift of salvation. That's her mission. That's what she is doing with her time. And she went on to share about presently, from her wheelchair in the United States, she is a part of a team that has been organized that has actually rescued 550 people with disabilities out of the war in Ukraine. She's going to use every second of her time to the glory of God. She's not taking any credit for it. She's not a delusionary about, I'm a great person, right? She began with the reality of her sin and God's grace, and that has led her to give of her time freely. Let's talk about talent. What are the spiritual gifts or the abilities that God has uniquely and lovingly gifted you? If you're a believer in Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. If you are alive and breathing, you have at least one ability of some sort or another, and it is a good gift from your heavenly father to you on loan to use for his glory. So the question, how are you using them currently to glorify God and grow his kingdom here in this city that God has put you? or wherever he may send you around the world. We also had a chance to listen to at the conference, uh, they had a brief interview with Bill and Gloria Gaither. Now, some of you in this room are like, who's that? Others of you in this room are, I know exactly who Bill and Gloria Gaither are. Um, Bill is 86 years old now. Gloria is 79 years old. Um, And if you didn't know, they've spent the majority of their lives, 60 plus years in, in the ministry of music, in leading people to faith in Christ through the ministry of music, writing songs, leading songs, directing, etc. And it was so neat to see them come up and just acapella lead 7,000 people in a worship song. And, and time does what it does to them. They are aging, but you see, you see a glow that comes over their face as they begin leading in worship. Something just comes together in that moment. And it made me think a, a whole lot of thoughts. It made me think, man, I wish my grandmother was here to be a part of that moment just to worship with them. But it also made me think, when God calls them home, who's next? Who will God call next? And the answer in one form or another is not them over there. The answer is you. The answer is me, us, that God is calling his people to continue to be used, to use their talents to glorify King Jesus and share the good news of the gospel. Let's talk treasure. Treasure is a nice word for money. Right? If I say money, it scares you. I say treasure, ah, it feels better. Um, I have been pastoring this church since we planted it for three years. I have never talked about money once. So if this is your first time with us, don't expect this to be a thing. Um, I am grateful for the generosity in this congregation, but I do think that there is no part of our lives that we say, okay, God, you can have this part and this part, but not <laughs> my bank account. Right? So as we think about our treasure as our, as our money, Let me say this to you very clearly up front. If you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, do not give your money. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus is not interested, nor does he need your money. He wants you and he wants your heart. Do not begin by giving money. Begin by giving him your heart. If you are a believer in Christ, you've experienced forgiveness and salvation, you would say, Jesus is now the Lord of my life then I would simply put back to you the question, who is in charge of your money? I'm not talking about, you know, how do husbands and wives navigate? The answer to that question is both of you. (laughs) 
talking about bigger than that. Who is in charge of your money? Are you or is God? Uh, R. Kent Hughes and his um, commentary on this passage uh, gave a very, I thought, a, a provoking statement that I want to share with you here. He says this about this passage. There is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. So you think about what are the reasons that, that sort of creep into our lives that we say, I can't give of my time, my talent, and my treasure, not, just not yet. You know, I've got too much going on at this time. And, and I identify with that, that feeling, that experience, or I'm not really good at, at such and such a thing, so I can't really do it yet. Um, or as soon as my school situation changes, as soon as my job situation changes, then I'm ready to give time, talent, treasure. Or I'm going through a lot right now. Or as soon as I pay off you know, this debt, this bill, then uh, I'll be able to give generously of my time, my talent, my treasure. And I don't think that that's the picture that we get here from Scripture. Jesus gives us a particularly harsh teaching in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, here's the most important thing to know about the Macedonians here, this church that Paul is sharing about to to illustrate what generosity looks like. The Bible says this, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Their heart was for the Lord first, and as a result, they showed generosity to us. In other words, the love of Christ led them to love others, not the other way around. One way is God's love poured out to you, and it flows out of you and through you to others. The other way is death. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be a good person on my own. Out of my self-righteousness, I'm going to impress God enough, and that way does not work. I think the mentality that the Macedonians had, uh, had adopted was this. My whole life is not my own. Not simply a, a matter of negotiating uh, percentages of my time, percentages of my talent, percentages of my treasure, and say, okay, God, you can have this, but I'm going to keep this. They're approaching it as, God, everything that I have is from you. My very breath is a gift from you. And simply out of gratefulness and thankfulness, recognizing that everything that I have, my family, my job, my career, my desires, all of it is a wonderful, kind gift from you. It's on loan, God, and I just want to give it back to you in whatever way you would see fit and multiply my tiny, meager effort so that others would experience the love of Jesus Christ and that others would bring glory to you in the way that I also want to desire. And by the way, God, I'm going to mess up constantly. I'm going to turn back to my selfish attitudes constantly, but by your grace, would you forgive me each day and help me more and more to act like Jesus? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Right after, in Matthew 6, we get this amazing do not worry sermon from Jesus. Don't worry, says Jesus. I've got you. And then he follows up with this application point in verses 19 and 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
When we first experience the, the grace and the generosity of Jesus, we cannot help but respond with generosity. And so the most important question that we should walk away from God's word this morning is this, have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced God's mercy? And to that, I want us to look at verses eight and nine to, to fill that in. Number two, we began with the Macedonian example. Paul takes it up a notch and he gives us Jesus' example. Number two is Jesus' example. And the application is be filled up with the grace and the generosity of our Lord Jesus. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9 in particular. This is sort of the high point of this whole teaching. Paul says, I say this, what I'm telling you, not as a command. You don't have to do this. It's a heart issue. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now, here's the punchline. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, this example, this reality is that the ultimate generosity that humanity has ever seen or experienced is only in Jesus Christ giving of himself. He was rich. Jesus possessed everything. Think of whatever person you can on the earth, however much money and stuff and bling and whatever else they have. They have nothing compared to what Jesus had and has. Jesus possessed God's presence. Jesus possessed God's perfection, his holiness, his glory. The Trinity should absolutely blow your mind. But the reality is, is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were preexistent before creation, that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed for all time in the past and will exist for all time in the future. And in the covenant of redemption, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit covenanted, covenanted together that Jesus, the Son, would come to earth, that he would give up the riches of heaven and become poor that he would leave his father's throne in order to rescue his people. He became poor. It is that he took on human flesh, that Jesus, and when you suffer or when you struggle, remember that Jesus has entered into your pain. Jesus has entered into your poverty and into your suffering. He became fully man. Even as he has always been and always will be fully God, he is now also fully man. And for him to do this was not simply some sort of a, a financial transaction. When the Bible talks about rich and poor, do not think this is Jesus going, well, I'll leave the Waldorf and I'll stay in the Holiday Inn Express. No, 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 no. Uh, it is not a matter of, well, I have, I have a couple of stock options. I'll go ahead and donate those and, and see if it helps them out. No, no, no. This is Jesus giving up everything. This is Jesus without sin standing before a holy and righteous God who has the right to judge our sin and Jesus experiencing all of the wrath and all of the punishment for our sins in our place. Jesus was judged and punished for your sins, for my sins. Jesus was beaten and mocked and flogged and crucified for my sins and for yours. Jesus gave up his life, was separated from the father, dead in the grave for us. That is the poverty that he took on so that you and I might become rich. Dollar signs? No, 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 no. Get rich quick schemes? 
No, 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 no. Sow your faith seed and get a Lamborghini? No, 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 no. So that you might become rich. Jesus rose from the dead. Three days after he died, Jesus physically, literally, bodily, rose from the dead, conquered our sin, our death, so that we might have eternal life. And in the greatest exchange of all time, Jesus took all of our sin, all of our wretchedness for anyone who will put their faith in Jesus. And he gifted in return all of his perfect righteousness, every good and perfect thing that Jesus has ever done. When God looks at you as a child of God, he doesn't see your record, your mistakes, your worst moments. He sees Jesus. You have become rich out of his poverty so that one day we can join together with Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a very real and wonderful place called heaven. Jesus became poor so that you might become rich, that you could receive his perfect record, his perfect life, his perfect identity, his perfect eternal home in heaven, his perfect relationship now restored with God the Father, his perfect hope, his perfect new life, his perfect plan for your life, his perfect purposes for your life, his perfect Holy Spirit power within you. He purchased all of that for you and it cost you nothing. And you could contribute to it, nothing. And he offers you freely everything. Listen to how the the Apostle Paul explains this to us in the book of Philippians. Inviting us in, reminding us of what Jesus has done and reminding us that Jesus wins. Philippians chapter two, a beautiful passage. It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now Jesus takes the spotlight who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Do we not long for that day? So if you don't know Jesus this morning, let me just say one one more time. Jesus does not need your time does not need your talents. He does not need your treasure. He wants you. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. He loves you anyway. Why? Because he loves you. What do you mean? You mean God is love? Yes. God forgives wretched sinners like me who deserve hell and offers us the free gift of eternal life. And that begins the moment that you ask him to be your savior. So call upon him today. And if you are a believer this morning, remember that it is our response to God's grace and mercy. 
that we give anything that we have back to God, not to impress him, but as a response to what he has already done in us and through us. When, when we are being filled up with God's grace and mercy in our lives, we overflow is the language, that Jesus is the fount of living water. And as he overflows with goodness, it fills us to overflowing. And the opposite is also true, that when we try to do it ourselves, you will dry up. You will become angry, you will become bitter, you will become disillusioned, you will dislike the church. You wonder why people walk away from the church. There are many reasons, but one is that. They stop being filled up by God's kindness and grace. They try to do it on their own and they they dried up. And it can so easily turn into self-reliance, religiosity, legalism, secret sins that no one else knows about, bitterness and despair. But the way of Christ is different. That's why I have prayed over you at the end of our services the last few weeks, Ephesians chapter three, when Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. Whose love? God's love. That you would have strength together with all the saints to understand the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses even knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, a heart changed by grace will overflow even, even when your situation is marked by suffering, even when your situation is marked by poverty, difficult circumstances, and we know this side of glory that every single one of us faces hard times of one or another. Uh, The last person I want to introduce to you from our conference is uh, a man who works with Voice of the Martyrs now. Um, His name is Peter Yashik, and uh, they interviewed him for a few minutes He spent 445 days in prison in Sudan, uh, and his crime was helping Christians in the country who were being persecuted by the government. He was sentenced to life in prison, and the first prison cell that he was put in, he shared with two other uh, members of ISIS. And so now he is having to hang out with with two people who it is their, their stated mission to kill Christians. And only by God's protection did he survive that moment and then was actually put in solitary confinement. Uh, he, to this day, he doesn't know why. But it was in that moment of, of just the worst of isolation that he was reminded of God's goodness and grace and given boldness and even bravery to continue to share the good news of the gospel, even though his circumstances were beyond what I think most of us can comprehend. In the days ahead, in his year plus there in prison, he actually was able to begin to share the gospel and a church was planted in that prison camp. People came to faith and they were eventually allowed to worship even in that place. Sometimes we just have to get out of God's way and let him do what only he can do. But even in his circumstances, he did not quit, he did not give up, God's grace overflowed. We can trust him, even if you would say, my life stinks this morning. Beloved, let me say to you, I care. I understand. We've all been there. But if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need, regardless of what suffering we may experience in this life. Bottom line, I put this on the screen today. I want to make sure that I, I communicate this clearly. The scripture is saying here, give the Lord your whole life, Because in love, he first gave up his life for you. And in power, he has given you a new and eternal life. I'm going to close just by thinking about uh, a character from Scripture. 
a wee little man. Huh? Yeah? His name was Zacchaeus, a wee little man, whose goal in life was to gather money for himself, his own comfort, worked for the Roman Empire, stole as a tax collector, stole money from his fellow Jewish people until the day that he met Jesus. And the day that he met Jesus, he experienced forgiveness for his sins. He first experienced conviction about his sins, experienced Jesus' face-to-face forgiveness. Can you imagine? And the immediate result of a life changed and forgiven, the love of Jesus entering his life, the Bible says, he, he literally says, I... Jesus, I'm going to give away half of everything that I own right now to those who are struggling with poverty. And anybody that I have stolen from, he admits, I I stole from my friends. I'm going to give them back exactly what I stole times four. Everything I have, Jesus, because you have given me everything, I want to give everything back. A wretched sinner, saved by grace. It's our story too. Changed. The generosity of Jesus transformed him into a generous person. May it be so with us as well. Amen? Let's pray.